the submissions from the various stakeholders, the fiscal condition of the state, the state's wage bill, and the impact on, of the salary increment of the public office bearers on the fiscus and the general economic status of the country as affected by the COVID pandemic and the affordability of the fiscus recommended a 3% salary increment to the president and all public office bearers for the 2021-22 financial year with effect on the 1st of April 2021. On the 26th of May uh, this year, the president, after having considered the gazetted report of the IRC, submitted his determination in respect of the remuneration of judges and magistrates to both houses of parliament. Effectively, the president agreed with the recommendations of the IRC and is intending to determine a 3% wage salary increase across the board for all ranks of judges and magistrates subject to the approval of parliament. And then, as you know, uh, on the 30th of May, the Speaker referred the determination for the judges and magistrates to uh, your portfolio committee. Uh, in terms of the report of the remuneration committee, the judges submitted that their salaries diminished due to the below inflation or no increases of, sal of salaries and referred the IRC to Section 176.3 of the Constitution, which provides that salaries, allowances and benefits of the judges may not be reduced. They raised a concern that their salaries were eroded. They felt by over 20% during the past five years. They further submit that the erosion was, is unconstitutional. So just drawing that to your attention, uh, they propose that the IRC should consider giving, um, consider the salaries of judges separately from other public of political office bearers, and they wanted a cost of living allowance. Uh, and that the IRC should consider implementing progressive steps aimed at addressing the 20% deficit and grant an adjustment which is above the CPI or no less than 8%. But according to the report of the IRC, the lower court remuneration committee submitted on behalf of the magistrates that the remuneration levels have consistently been reduced over the past 11 years. And they also recommended a cost of living adjustment uh, um, and they, in fact, um, wanted um, uh, a cost of living adjustment of 5.3%. Of so it's basically recommended that the Portfolio Committee consider and approve the notices by the President and the 3% increase for all ranks of judges and magistrates will effect from the 1st of April 2021. So, Chair, that is the, uh, the presentation, the input. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Minister, for, for the presentation. Uh, members, any comments, questions? Honorable Horn and Honorable Chair, in that order. Thank you, Chair. Uh, good morning to all colleagues and also specifically to the Deputy Minister. Um, yes, Chair, um, maybe in, in response to the, the submissions by the judiciary, uh, as just now put on the table by the, the Minister, the Deputy Minister, I would want to say that it is indeed a worry. It, it is, a, it is a, a, I want to say, a global principle uh, or element of of true independence of the judiciary that the remuneration of, of uh, the members of the judiciary 
cannot be uh, cannot be diminished. Um, however, I want to say that um, similar to uh, any statutory interpretation with which our members of the judiciary is tasked from day to day, the submissions around this, of course, has to be considered within the current context within which we operate. And is if the, the, the context indicate uh, uh, unmanageable pressure on the, on the public purse, and if all others who are dependent on their remuneration from the public purse, as well as specifically dependent on their remuneration as part of the processes followed by the independent commission, is treated in a similar way, then of course the context would indicate that it is not necessarily aimed at the judiciary. Um, having said that, um, all of us who are uh, committed to, to the Independence of our judiciary must, in the same vein or at the same time, be, be very worried about the, the risks associated with our inability to, to uh, ensure that members of the judiciary uh, receive proper increases, because it is quite clear that there are some very specific risks involved in, in that situation, and, and I would think that that whilst we, in the current context, ultimately might be forced to, to uh, confirm the, the proposals as sent through first by the Independent Commission and then by the, the President, I, I think one proviso must be added, and that is that ultimately this is now becoming a bit of a trend, and in that sense, uh, it is something that must be arrested uh, before it 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 uh, poses very ma very material risks to the independence of our judiciary. Thanks. Thank you very much, Honourable Hon, Honourable Chela. Thank you, thank you very much, Chairperson. Good morning, uh, colleagues, and also good morning to. Um, our Deputy Minister. Chairperson, I wouldn't agree more with uh, Honorable Horn. Uh, repeating word by word will be really wasting time. I'm looking at um, uh, this presentation and the recommendations of, of the independent and the risk uh, associated those are the issues that one when was reading here uh, was looking into and also uh, worried that indeed it is important to 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 consider this and 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 endorse it in one way or the other because um the only thing that i saw when i was reading this presentation it was the concerns of the minister, the the treasury minister of uh, finance, but uh, indeed we cannot overlook the issue of the risk that comes with not uh, endorsing this. Without waste of time, let me just say, 
I agree with Honorable Khan. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Jale. Is there anyone who would want to speak or to disagree with the two speakers that have spoken in support of us agreeing to the recommendation? I see none. Uh, the two recommendations with respect to the judges and the magistrates are agreed to. Tomorrow we would adopt um, a report that will be sent to the House for approval. Thank you very much, uh, members. Oh, the report is ready. Um, can we allow some time for members to read the report before we adopt it? Um, because I'm informed that the legal advisor uh, is attending the Portfolio Committee on Transport and she'll be joining us at 10 o'clock. Uh, can I propose that uh, we have 10 minutes to go through the report and then, then thereafter we, we will consider the report? Is that in order, members? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, just maybe to assist, uh, just a question to the committee section. Uh, is this the same, uh, obviously with a different amount, is this the same wording as previous uh, reports on judges and magistrates' salary increases? This one obviously on the screen is, is judges, but just is there any difference from what was done? Well, last year the judges didn't get any increase. I mean, 2019-20. Um, as Rick, um, is is this is this wording any different through you, Chair? Thank you very much, Mr. Ramano. Uh, good, good morning, Chair. The the wording remains the same. Yeah, we have a consistent template here, Deputy Minister. No, it's it. That, that was just to, to try and assist committee members that, okay, this is something you've looked at before, but I'm not, I'm not influencing you. Thanks. No, no, thank you very much. Um, well, let's stick to the time uh, that we have agreed to, because at any rate, the next uh, item on the agenda should start at 10. So we still do have time. So can we start uh, at... Uh, um, at 10 to or 5 to because um, there's nothing let's, let's start at 5 to agreed Um, okay. 
and it's sorted chair. Thank you.
Committee on Justice and Correctional Services on the draft notice and schedule determining the rate with effect from the 1st of April 2021 at which salaries, allowances and benefits are payable to magistrates annually for approval by parliament in terms of section 3 of the Magistrate Act of 1993, Act number 90 of 1993, dated 7 June 2022. Uh, let me start with uh, corrections. Are there any corrections to the report? No correction. Is there a mover for the adoption of the report? Okay, I move for the adoption of the report. Honorable Masakotel moves for the adoption of the report in the second. Swart seconds. Thank you. Honorable Swart seconds. Any objections? Uh, no objection. The report is agreed to. Uh, the report will be transmitted to the National Assembly. Uh, it will be debated in due course. Uh, possibly, I think, uh, uh, I think the programming committee that will sit on Thursday will guide us as to when the report will be uh, debated and approved by the House. Thank you very much. Is the advisor, uh, the parliamentary legal advisor present now? Yes, Chief, she is present. Okay. Uh, welcome. Uh, what is the name? It's Ms. Pumele Lengema. Uh, welcome, Ms. Lengema, again. Uh, can you take us through the legal opinion? We are now members dealing with the traditional courts bill. Thank you so much, Chairperson. Greetings to yourself and greetings to the members and everyone on the platform. I appreciate the indulgence and the opportunity uh, for the committee to have allowed me to come join the meeting at 10 instead of when the committee had started. Thank you so much, Chairperson, and to all the members for that. I will try and flight the presentation, trusting that I've been given the rights to do so. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Um, I'm trusting Chairperson as it appears on my side, it is also appearing on the side of the members. Yes, it does. Thank you so much, Chairperson. Um, basically, what we are dealing with as right now, Chairperson, it is the request of the committee which was asked and given to us sometime in October, sometime last year, 2021, where the, the committee took a decision to request that an external senior counsel present a legal opinion on the constitutionality of the traditional courts bill, which is a bill that has been considered by both houses of parliament, being the National Assembly initially, and resulted in a B version and then it was transcribed and transferred to the next house, the National Council of Provinces, which also made its own amendments and resulted in a D version called uh, Traditional Courts Bill 127D. The opinion from Advocate Masum Chaperson was received 
on the 12th of October 2021. And there are various issues that he spoke to as raised in his opinion and raised by the question of the members when it was instructing and guiding his opinion. He spoke to the following summarized topic, Chairperson. Does the bill embody the principles of traditional court system as it stands? What are the implications of Section 34 of the Constitution on the traditional courts bill itself? And are these courts, the traditional courts, a court under Chapter 8 and Section 166E of the Constitution, or are they the second part which appears in Section 34 being the appropriate place for a fair public hearing to resolve disputes as either an independent tribunal or an independent forum. If they are, if they are courts within the justice system under Chapter 8 of the Constitution within the judicial system, what becomes of the appointment processes set out in Section 174 of the Constitution? His opinion goes into details trying to unpack this question and the issues. He further asks, what about the principles of separation of powers and the independence that is inherent and granted to court's powers and required for the judicial system? Uh, which he argues, if one considers the manner that it is currently of the bill, may seem inconsistent in respect of traditional courts. He further takes the committee to the implications of chapter 12 of the constitution and tries to explain it as well, how the traditional authority and traditional leadership is recognized under chapter 12, which in his arguments, he further alludes that the recognition under chapter 12 does not appear to include and be the recognition and the, and, 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 the, and the rationalization that's required of the traditional courts. He therefore, I will take the, the, the I, will, I will give a summary on how he, he brings about that argument. He therefore then asks um, if traditional authorities, as they are recognized under chapter 12 of the constitution, are they extended the power and the requirements, do they meet them of chapter eight for courts of justice? And what is the distinction between the chapter eight courts and what is envisaged of section 34 courts, independent tribunals, independent and impartial tribunals or independent and impartial forums as well. He further then unpacks Jefferson, the details of the constitution as our supreme law in relation to traditional courts. He has explained Chaperson that under chapter 12, in his legal view and the way he says it, section 211 deals with the institution of traditional authorities. And traditional authority in its, its, in its entirety is recognized and its status and role of traditional leadership, according to customary law, is further recognized. But at all times, when there are repeal or reenactments or review or rationalization of legislation that um, 
speaks to traditional courts or traditional authorities. It has to be aligned and in accordance with the Constitution. So he asked the question, what does then chapter, chapter 12 read under section 211 mean? And if we read section 211 of the Constitution, does it speak to Schedule 6, Item 16 of the Constitution, where this provision, Schedule 6, Item 16 of the Constitution, it speaks to, tra to transitional arrangements relating to all courts of the land. He does make a specific mention that under clause, under Schedule 6, Item 16, traditional courts are mentioned as courts existing and continue as such at the commencement of the final constitution. He unpacks what these two provisions mean. The members uh, would recall that at, at earlier times and in the previous um, sessions, which was as this bill stems from 2017, it may involve members that come from the previous parliament and the members that have joined this current parliament. What the advocate points out is that the section 211 recognition does not include the recognition of traditional courts in light of what schedule 16, in, of what, in light of what schedule 6, item 16 is, um, is, 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 is legislating upon in the manner in which it is legislated as. He further points out that for the traditional authority recognized under Section 211, all these, including the traditional courts, are subjected to three other factors to find and promote their existence and continuity. Number one, they are subjected to an um, they must be subjected to an amendment, or if they are to subjected to any amendment or repeal of the legislation that gives their existence or continuity that was applicable in light of the customary law. Such changes must at all times be consistent with the Constitution. Thirdly, as a structure of the institution recognized with its status and role as a traditional leadership, at all times, such structures must be subjected to the Constitution, especially the Bill of Rights. He thus points out that there is an, entangle an entanglement or a situation that is created that requires that distinctions be made between traditional authority as recognized under Chapter 12, which in light of the constitutional principles, including the principle of independence for the court, the principle of separation of powers, the courts as traditional courts in the bill may not necessarily be the courts, uh, may not necessarily be already also recognized under the Chapter 12 recognition. And then he points out that there is a possibility then in light of the interpretation that may be given to these two provisions, Chapter 12 and Schedule 6, Item 16, there is already a legal quagmire 
or legal difficulty that has been created in light of the continued existence of the traditional courts. Now, the question that generally he poses then answers in all of the conceptualization and the ideas that he has spoken to is whether in the bill as it stands in the division, is it the, real, the rationalization that is required in terms of item 16, the realization that parliament is pleased with and it wants to be producing? As per Schedule 16, item 16, I have already indicated in sub 6A, the crucial question for this committee, which also the, the advocate asked, is to answer whether the bill as currently stand, does it rationalize traditional courts aligned with the judicial system suited to the requirement of the new constitution or not? Hence, everything that the advocate has raised in his opinion sought to alert and ask the committee whether or not this rationalization as it stands in the deep bill version, which both houses have, have passed, and it's now coming back in terms of joint rule um, 185 of parliament and the National Assembly rules processing this matter. Is it meeting all the requirements in the constitution and his opinion basically deals with issues that have been addressed and issues that are not addressed to raise the question of constitutionality he starts with section 34 and as we all know section 34 is a right because it falls under chapter 2 of the bill of rights and it says everyone has a right to have any dispute capable of being of resolve or capable of being resolved by the application of law to be decided. And where must it be decided? It must be decided in a fair public hearing before number one, either a court and a court that will be forming part of the judicial system in chapter eight of the constitution or where it may be appropriate. And perhaps the question is to ask who decides what is appropriate and which forum. So it can be B, another independent and impartial tribunal. And lastly, it can be another independent or and impartial tribunal or forum. And so the question that runs through the opinion, what does the bill choose or determine traditional courts to be? Is it a court under chapter eight or is it a tribunal or a forum? that falls within the right expressed in section 34 of the constitution. The advocate has uh, broken down contextual issues and he starts with section 34, pointing out, as I've said, it is a right. And these structures as independent and impartial tribunal or forums are allowed and enabled to exist. And he has made examples using the CCMA and using the Claims Court. But the question for purposes of the traditional court, if they fall under either an impartial and independent tribunal or an impartial and independent forum, how such independence or impartiality of a tribunal is going to be established? And his argument is that if it is to be a court and must either be one of these two, the issue of independence and impartiality 
is an issue that creates challenges because then if that were to be the case, they must be appointed in light of Chapter 8, specifically Section 174. And I will get to the specific provisions, how he, he, he suggests that be done. He points out furthermore that traditional leadership as such is a role and its status is constitutionally declared as one bound at local level, affecting local communities in order to accommodate the non-homogeneous and evolving cultures or traditions of all societies so as to ensure that customary law lives on. And those that choose to follow the system or the lifestyle of customary law and customary traditions, they are enabled and able to do so. Now, the varied nature of our cultures is exactly what is catered for in terms of chapter 12 and relevant and necessary applicable legislation must in light of section seven, assist customary law to reform. Furthermore, Chairperson, he speaks to the nature and character of traditional courts. If we look at paragraph 10 to 13 of Advocate Masugu's opinion, he speaks that he indicates that uh, traditional customary law or traditional courts may appear as an informal legal system as opposed to the formal legal system that was brought in um, by the Western colonization in, into the country. And so the concepts as understood and spoken may make it appear as an informal legal system as opposed to the known general Western formal legal system. And the way it's been argued he further says they may seem to lack the attribute of independence and impartiality. And why is that? Because he feels that they are being appendaged because of the way the customary system is. They are appendaged not as a, a court system, not as a judicial system, but as part of the traditional authority, which is the authority recognized under Chapter 12. He says that the traditional justice systems have been evolving as people following the culture is also evolving, as well as because of the advent of the constitution, which uh, requires that things be done in a democratic, as well as in a system that enables equality and promotes the, the rights in the Bill of Rights. He then points out that the traditional systems, the traditional justice systems, as involved as evolving as they have been, are the, is the legislation that's in place ensuring certain features of their independence and impartiality is the formation, the purpose and composition in line with the injunction in section 39.2 of the constitution. And briefly, what section 39.2 of the constitution is setting out is the following chapter so that members walk through with me in this I'll quickly read it. When interpreting any legislation and when developing the common law or customary law, every court, tribunal, or forum must promote the spirit, purport, and objects of the Bill of Rights. So the question he's posing there 
is the manner the bill, because it speaks to the formation, purpose, continuity, and composition of the traditional courts. Does it comply with Section 39.2 of the Constitution and ensures that the Bill of Rights and its objects is actually promoted as the Constitution purports? He further brings in the issue of legal representation, which the members also spoke about and previous opinions have been presented to the committees, both the select and the portfolio committee. Whether legal representation being restricted as the bill does when conducting the system of traditional courts, is that a constitutional issue? Is that a ground likely to make the bill unconstitutional or susceptible to constitutional invalidity. And then he speaks about issues whether abuse of judicial discretion in that the way the, 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 the traditional courts are appendaged to the traditional authority will create problems thereof. He does raise concerns on whether the rule of law can be maintained and promoted in all the proceedings of the traditional courts without legal representation. He further contrasts, having questioned that, that generally speaking uh, and knowing customary law and the research he has done, legal representation was not necessarily part of, 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 of traditional systems because they were inbuilt systems that were promoting the protection of the parties and the, the, and, and the open use of, of the system being communal, that it involves everybody as its own inbuilt system to promote and protect the integrity of the traditional court system. And then he speaks to generally fundamental differences between traditional or what is known or termed as informal justice system against the formal legal system as I pointed out, which comes from the Western way of doing justice. However, having pointed out those distinctions, he does not say that the argument that there is a distinction in the preferred and the lack of legal representation in the traditional courts justify that and promotes the argument that the bill may be unconstitutional because he takes it under section 35, um, I think it's 3F of the constitution, which enables and, and gives a right that every accused must be given legal representation in criminal matters. And then Chaperson, he then asked if traditional courts are rationalized in line with section 166E and 171 of the Constitution. Many of the issues which arise and are related to the issues of legal representation, to the issues of independence, many of those concerns can be kept, as he argues, under paragraph 17 and 19. And he argues that both systems, whether you look at a traditional system or a Western system, both systems are seeking to ensure the inquest and promotion of a fair trial. And this is at the heart of both systems. And the traditional system then, in his argument, 
is the one that provides more substantial justice as opposed to the technical justice because it's inclusive and it looks into ensuring that the offender still still maintains his existence or her existence within the community and ensures as opposed to the retaliated system it ensures a harmonious unity and keeping together the community. Hence, he says it's a substantial justice as opposed to a technical kind of justice that the Western system sort of brings. Making his summary on the legal representation issue, he cautions the committee that it must be mindful of the preoccupation with the Western jurisprudence and procedural mode where they are saying legal representation is the norm and must always be there. Because as I already pointed out, in, 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 in the history of the traditional South African courts, such was not necessarily a question that ends up making a conclusion that without legal representation, then the system is unfair and constitutional and cannot bring about justice. He argues that exclusion of legal representation can be maintained and it can be lawfully permitted in certain settings. And as already, our own legislation in the statute as, as we speak of now, the, the legislation that establishes and sets procedure for small claims courts and CCMA, it does not include the, the, the right directly of legal representation but the rules board and the rules that are related there and the jurisprudence that has been done by those courts or, or, or independent tribunals or forums as the CCMA is, they do look into the issues when it's necessary and valid that legal representation should be there. So his conclusion is that the lack of legal representation does not necessarily render the bill to be suspect to unconstitutionality in light of Section 35 of the Constitution. Um, he has then further defined and made an expression on what does access to justice in light of Section of Clause 32E of the Bill uh, and wants to ask the question related to the voluntariness or the opting out issues, which he believes that 32E seeks to promote Section 31 of the Constitution in voluntary association and in providing for voluntary association and adherence to customary law or cultural life and as well as that provision, because it also precludes intimidation in any of its forms. So in that regard, that provision, he's arguing that it does speak expressly to access to justice and enables still the voluntary association for those who choose to follow the customary or cultural lifestyle. He further argues that the safeguards that are in built in various provisions of the bill for an example, the types of section of sanctions under clause eight and the orders, there is a sanction that provides that prohibits deprivation of one's belonging into that area and and and, and, and detention. 
So these are some of the provisions he speaks to to say the way they've been captured, they do look into the issues of ensuring constitutionality and compliance with the Bill of Rights. He says the bill conforms with the fundamental principles of natural justice, gender equality, as required by Section 9, and it does addresses and is clear on procedural fairness, impartiality, and also speaks furthermore to the disclosure of interest and leaders to recuse themselves when there is a conflict of interest, um, which are the issues that fall under natural justice. And these, he finds them to be central to customary law or traditional law as practiced. Further concept he speaks of is the concept of fairness under natural justice. He, 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 he urges um, that the members should avoid the lens or the perspective that is generally used to consider a traditional system in comparison and also undermining uh, that it can stand on its own and as, as, as a plural legal system that's enabled by the constitution at the expense that the Western formal system is provided, is, is promoted more and the, legal, the traditional legal system is unfairly preconceived uh, from the colonial founded thinking that it is not a system that can function and can survive. He mentions the judgments of the Constitutional Court, which has given credence to the plural system of enabling both the Western justice system and the traditional justice system. And he says that the arguments do not on, on, on the issue of separation of powers, as I indicated, that he, he spoke a lot about the way they seem to be appendaged to the traditional authority. He says that such arguments um, as, as ill-conceived should not be used and, and considered from that lens, but give the traditional system, the traditional court system, a, a fair standing, which must align with what is required under Schedule 6 of Item 16 in the Constitution. He has made these arguments under section under paragraph 36 to 38 of his opinion. He further adds that from the way he studied the bill, there is a built-in remedy that the community holds and may use to hold the leadership of traditional authorities accountable. And that protection is available and protected by the bill in order to ensure accountability at all levels. And he also noted that in light of the, the traditional and Khoisan Leadership Act, which is the act that has repealed the previous traditional leadership framework act, it still speaks to the different levels and structures of traditional leaders. And that is the same that has been used in order to ensure the court systems and the court structures within the traditional courts. And then coming to close by close uh, uh, points that he made about Chairperson and the difficulties in relation to the concept. Advocate Masugu um, mentioned matters that may make the bill suspect to constitutional attacks. The main one, as I've indicated, 
is the issue that traditional courts seems to be appendaged and fused with the traditional leader as the recognition under Section 12, 211 and 212 of the, of the Constitution. And therefore, most may argue that because of that, there's a, there's a lack of separation of powers principle, which is required in any court system by the current final constitution as the supreme law of the country. And therefore, he says a traditional court having its space uh, linked with the governance and the political structure as understood within the traditional communities, there might be a problem with that and then make it suspect to, 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 to constitutional attack. Therefore, maybe in his suggestion, the, the clarity that it is a court under Chapter 8, separating the issue of separation of powers principle and, and, and bringing the recognition on, of traditional courts under Chapter 8 that might assist and as well as the certification judgment, which did make a view that if traditional courts are placed under Section 166E of the Constitution and, and read with Schedule 6, Items 2 and 16, that might correct that issue. And But that will require that the, the appointment and the formulation be based under Section 174 and 171 of the Constitution, which the bill does not do currently. And he, he is clear in his assertion that for him, traditional courts should be placed as courts under the judicial system and not uh, possibly going around Section 34 or using Section 34. So because traditional courts will be performing and are performing a judicial function, that is why he says they are solely to be placed under the judicial system and follow at least the Section 166E that establishes them through a legislation enacted by parliament. He then make an ascension whether the bill meets constitutional objective in its formation, establishment, and appointments. He finds that that is not the case because the bill does not recognize and form traditional courts within the constitutional contours of Section 166, Section 171, Section 174, and 211.3 of the Constitution. And in his argument is that this national legislation should have set out the details in light of those provisions, and unfortunately, the bill does not do so. Traditional courts, in his argument, can pass constitutional master if their design is in conformity with sections 8 and section 9 of the Constitution to ensure that the Bill of Rights in its entirety is not undermined and also conform with section 165 and 166 of the Constitution. He has outlined and made the details of this under paragraph 54 and 55 of his opinion. He is making a caution there that we must avoid the committee or, or, or the, the processing of the bill in parliament must ensure that the inflation and the, con the, 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 the 
putting together of traditional courts and traditional leadership is not done as one because there's clearly a distinction and an inherent requirement that that separation be maintained. If it must be maintained through legislation, then it, it, it has to be so. He further points out that no one is mandated to interfere with courts as enjoined by Section 165.3 of the Constitution. But how can we argue that the same can be achieved in light of traditional courts, especially in following the arguments that were raised by some of the submissions where they were saying traditional courts must be within a judicial system? He, he further argues that the independence of this structure, traditional courts, is crucial. And if it's a court, it will be properly established. And, 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 and then even under Section 34, because Section 34 also enables the right to approach a court. So there is really no, no, no argument that one can say, if traditional courts are a court, they then fall outside of Section 34 because it can either be a court, it can either be an impartial and independent tribunal or forum. And therefore, he's urging in his opinion, uh, or, or perhaps the arguments are making a view that there has to be a distinction of the independence of traditional courts, which stands outside and away from the traditional leadership as recognized under, under, under Section 211 of the Constitution. He concludes that it is possible to establish a traditional court that conforms fully with the Constitution if they will be placed under Chapter 8 and their formation and appointment of the presiding officers there will not necessarily follow the inheritance succession as customary does, but if it will be done through legislation and the rules board, uh, which is already in existence in respect of the other courts. He further points out that the Apex Court, the Constitutional Court, has accepted the legal and cultural pluralism that needs to subsist within the South African democratic state and ensure people's choice which legal system they follow. He cautions that the continued existence of traditional courts must not continue the unconstitutional extension of political power of traditional leaders, which is used with the traditional court's powers as appendaged currently. And therefore the bill must make sure in order to avoid unconstitutionality in this regard, that that principle is clearly separated and expressed in the bill. In the establishing of the norms and standards for traditional courts, Advocate Masugu argues that what appears is that the bill has taken what the constitution was granting to the structures as set out for courts, purposes, and, cost, and courts establishment where another public officer or functionary is conferred with the powers to make prescripts that regulate traditional courts. That will create an issue because it usurps the powers of the Chief Justice as conferred in Section 165.6 of the Constitution. 
and giving those powers elsewhere as the bill does may also render the bill unconstitutional if taken for the courts attack and review in courts. He points out that the concern of usurping the powers of the Chief Justice um, may, may, may come clear when one reads clauses 5, 7 on sub 11 and clauses 10 sub 2 and clauses 16 and 17. The, 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 the powers and the way those provisions are giving out what needs to be done there, especially if Parliament agrees that traditional courts are to be courts under Section 166E and not merely independent tribunals or forums that are found, as pointed out and envisaged in Section 34 of the Constitution. He says the solution lies in, in, in perhaps if it's not done in the bill itself, the power to be delegated to the rules board by the bill instead of giving it to the executive, the minister or the MEC or the House of Traditional Leaders where there's an indication that they can um, determine the, 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 the scope of how these authorities conduct themselves when running a traditional court in terms of a code of conduct. He further points out that according to Section 176.2 of the Constitution, Parliament is obliged to legislate on the security and tenor and removal and guidelines for judicial officers. But that is not the case in respect of the traditional courts. And that, again, on its own, may render the bill suspect to constitutional attack so they need to be compliant with Section 176.2, with Section 174.7, and Section 165.3 of the Constitution. These are all related provisions for the protection and ensured formation of an independent judicial system. And he argues the bill lacks some of it thereof. In terms of the definitions and the preamble, as I said, he also does speak per clause, and these are the first clauses within the bill. The preamble, he says, has lots of problems, and he suggests some of the provisions within the preamble to be removed, because if we maintain them, the preamble will create interpretive chaos. The obligation to rationalize traditional courts does not arise from the Black Administration Act. So he says what appears in paragraph one and two will create, will create chaos that we really do not need. And therefore, perhaps the paragraphs one and two of the preamble should come out. He also points out that in respect of paragraph three of the preamble, which is supposed to be an interpretative tool, assisting the content and the context and the reason why the bill had to be enacted had to be enacted he says regarding the various facets of traditional authority he does not agree that chapter 12 recognizes traditional leadership as a dispute resolving mechanism as a dispute resolving mechanism of function though traditional framework act did exactly that so he says the sole domain of courts must be separated from the domain of traditional leadership as a recognized traditional authority. 
he further points out, um, uh, I, I think when I checked the acts, it was me who went straight. For an example, if one looks at Section 15 of the Traditional and Khoisan Leadership Act, um, he points out that um, the old Framework Act did confer the dispute resolution power of or such a function to traditional leadership. But Section 15 and Section 19 or 20 and 25 of the current Traditional and Khoisan Leadership Act, which has repealed the old Framework Act, that does not speak to those issues or enabling and granting such a power. So furthermore, on the preamble, he, he then suggests that we either remove paragraph 4 and revise paragraph 5 of the preamble so as to avoid the interpretation chaos that might arise with how the preamble is set out right now. He's further worried with some definitions under clause 1, including the definition of the traditional court, which he says is generally vague and just does not um, bring so much clarity because it, it relates to what the, the levels in the traditional leadership framework, in the traditional and Khoisan Act currently is also understanding and promoting the way the structural levels of traditional authorities are. So he suggests that maybe we need to refine the definition of traditional court Clause two as well, he says we may need to look at revising it uh, in order to ensure that the issues that he has raised are clarified. So there are various provisions that he feels do require revision in order to ensure that they meet constitutional master. Clause three and clause four are some of those. Uh, especially on the issue of the manner that traditional leaders take up position. Um, he says the inheritance story should, should, should really be taken away and that appendage uh, issue be clarified because traditional leaders should be then, even if as leaders, they should be appointed as judicial officers, which will run the traditional courts, and that will accord and, 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 and align with the constitution, as well as promote judicial independence. Therefore, we need to make sure that the bill aligns itself. If it is a, a court under Section 166, enacted through legislation by parliament, we must ensure compliance with Section 165 and 175, 74 of the constitution. He makes those arguments under paragraph 83 to 84. And clause 5 as well would require that it be re-looked at. Um, and he points out that a clear decision needs to be made on the nature of these courts because the bill currently is really not clear whether they are chapter 8 or they are section 34. The committee may recall that previously the legal opinions were arguing that if it's a Section 34 tribunal, and that's why it's located within the, the manner that it's been determined and the bill um, was presented before and right through the committee. So he says, failing a clear expression that it's a Chapter 8 court or it falls within the judicial system, 
and insisting that they be kept as a Section 34 impartial tribunal, and, but the independence issue stands out, then the, 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 without that, uh, an argument that can stand also is that the appendage will continuously violate the separation of powers, constitutional principle, and not suffice as envisaged a proper rationalization that uh, Schedule 6 of the Constitution requires. He suggested that the legitimacy of this institutional role can be protected if, if, if a representative body, as opposed to a cabinet member alone, does what is set out in Clause 5.3 of the bill. He challenges Clause 6 and 7, and points that there are inconsistencies in the manner that they are drafted. It is inconsistent with the promotion and the need for judicial independence and the separation of powers. He has issues with 7.3b, subsection 2. Um, he says the bill is not clear whether it's saying it's a procedure or a decision that needs to be fair. Because in light of procedural fairness and natural justice, the, the process needs to be impartial as conducted by the presiding traditional leader and not necessarily the decision. But the bill speaks of this in a, a, a convoluted or other confused way that's, that does not align with this. So he points out that the issue of legal representation being restricted under 74A of the bill, he makes his full argument under paragraph 19.4. He points out that this is meant and restricted to criminal matters. But if the bill does extend to criminal matters, such a right cannot then be deprived and taken away from those that will, will, will require it where there are complex and, and problematic uh, issues. He says 7.8 is also challengeable because it's vague. Um, and then clause 7 and 8 further, he says on the doctrine of vagueness and lacking legal certainty on customary procedure and methods of evidence, Clause 7, 8 then may, may make the bill suspect to constitutional challenges. Um, summarying, in summary, to give the nature and impact of the way the bill is currently structured, he says Clause 9 can be cured if all adjudicative roles, once the nature of these courts is confirmed, and placed under Chapter 8, Section 166E, these courts can then um, be given back to presiding officers and taken away from the clerks. The functions that are given under Clause 9 should remain as functions of the judicial officers and not the functions of the clerks. But that the bill did under the understanding that it, it puts it under Section 34 of the Constitution. So a nature of this bill still required to be clarified, and the bill needs to be clear as well in respect of the transfer provisions under Clause 14, whether 
the traditional courts are made to be lower than the magistrate courts and what then is the purpose of the transfer if they are at an equal level. It must be clear whether the transfer or the referral is a review or appeal process or what it is. He says there is vagueness in respect of that and the bill require must verify even though it was a noble idea to to have such a provision. So the bill must clarify what the referral or the transfer of this matter is exactly and whether the, the traditional courts are lower than the magistrate courts. In conclusion then, Chairperson, he, 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 he makes distinction of these two matters. Judicial power given to traditional leaders, as the bill does, does not in its current form uh, Judicial power given to traditional leaders, as the bill does in its current form, is displaced and constitutionally invalid in consideration of, or if we placed it under the recognition of, of Section 211. Because as I said, he says that recognition is recognition for the traditional leadership outside of the traditional courts, because the traditional courts are recognized under, under Schedule 12, under Schedule 6, existing as they are as courts within this part of the judicial system. So traditional authority as currently recognized by the Constitution in Chapter 12 does not extend to grant judicial authority as protected and enabled to continue to exist under Schedule 6, Item 16 of the Constitution. Um, then he, he says there has to be a correct conferral of judicial power. And if that is done in the bill, then the constitutional issues that are raised may, may just be solved. He also points out that in respect of the opt-out principle, on its own, it may promote disregard for the equality before the law principle because it seems to be indicating that there is a choice and that choice is not necessarily given when one considers the Western legal system type. So he, 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 he indirectly does point out that the opt-out principle has its own challenges as well, which may might as well leave when argued before the courts of law. That said, Jefferson, he is giving us a very balanced opinion, which says there may be work necessary to be done on the traditional courts bill, but a concept that is not in its general form to be made as if it's, it's entirely unconstitutional. I thank you, Jefferson. Thank you very much, Ms. Ngema, for the presentation. And uh, thank you very much. I think we were, you have really studied the legal opinion. You've internalized it. Uh, members, that is the presentation from Ms. Ngema of the legal opinion drafted by Advocate Masuko S.C., uh, which we asked him to do. 
remember the last uh, meeting we had, we asked for an external legal opinion, and, and that is the legal opinion. Are there any views? Honorable Juan. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Um, and and also uh, thank you uh, uh, to the presenter. Um, Chair, I want to say in respect of the, the very last comments that um, I don't think the opinion as it stands can lead to any other conclusion if we accept the opinion than that on the basis of the probable uh, failure to pass constitutional muster, uh, this committee is now uh, confronted with very serious issues. I mean, it, um, uh, I, I think I will park any comments on the way forward. I would assume we will, we firstly want to discuss the, the, the content. I think the, the, the opinion in itself, even though it is um, phrased very carefully, uh, points out very clearly the 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 uh, the themes within the the uh, the bill that is problematic from a constitutional point of view, but also in terms of the specific sections, and on the two scores, the one being the separation of powers principle and, and everything related to that, as well as ultimately the equality before the law principle and the, the opt-out um, uh, provision that is not there, uh, I would think that, that, that a careful reading of the opinion must lead, lead to a conclusion on our part that these, these matters are fatal to the, to the constitutional validity of, of this bill, and, and that realization must inform our discussions on the way forward. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much, Honorable Hohen. Honorable Mr. Bocelli. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Uh, and also, let me just thank uh, our presenter for indeed such a good analysis of the opinion in front of us Chair, today. There are a lot of things that has been uh, raised by this opinion that uh, Chair uh, really uh, have to be considered and also uh, chair are of a concern to some of us who are not expect on this uh, field but also you know coming uh, from this tradition the, the traditional uh, uh, African uh, traditions. There are a lot of them, and uh, Chair, I'm not sure if maybe, um, like uh, Honorable Horn says, we're still going to have an opportunity to deal with the content, 
in details, but uh, there are issues that are of concern here that our, our advocate has alluded to, particularly that issue of separation of powers and the legal representation. I think uh, as we are going to discuss this one, we need to make sure that che, some of the things uh, that are proposed on this opinion are not uh, uh, I, I, I don't want to be seen like a, I'm, I'm criticizing maybe uh, uh, now at this moment where I am, but I would feel like uh, we must not compare the two formal uh, legal system and this one of the traditional uh, uh, um, the system from the traditional background because those two are different and how we are going to handle them they should reflect that indeed they are different because if we are going to allow some elements from the formal legal system to penetrate into this one into our tradition in a manner I, I know, Chair, I'm, I'm cautious of what uh, the, 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 the clause in our constitution in relation to this, but we must also, because all these issues, they, 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 they take interpretation into consideration. But Chair, without uh, uh, going further, I think uh, there are so many points where the 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 opinion also says this uh, might cause you know uh, some problems if they they, they are challenged uh, in our courts the courts the, the the present courts that we have uh, but I don't think uh, that chair we we are or let me say, I agree with uh, some of the points that I, 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 the, uh, the opinion is uh, talking into, but I'm not sure if maybe, Chair, you are going to give us a lot of uh, time, maybe tomorrow, to go into details in making sure that we support uh, what we are feeling that uh, the opinion is really not... Uh, 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 making one to be comfortable when it comes to our uh, African tradition. Chairperson, um, uh, I don't want to get into details because when it comes also to the issue of comparing these traditional courts with the issues of the small claim uh, 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 courts, and all that, I still have a, a view, a different view when it comes to that one chair. And also the issue of the legal representation, I have a different view because when you're talking legal representation, you are also, we are, we are, we are now bringing that element into the tradition, uh, uh, which originally it was not supposed to be like that. I agree with um, the, 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 the opinion where it says 
we have to apply our mind carefully when we do these things. But Chair, I think I will where I am now, I will pause and wait for that opportunity when we get into details with this issue so that we can support also some of our uh, uh, points raised on this legal opinion. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Jale, Honorable Deputy Minister. Uh, thanks, thanks, Chair. Look, just a few comments. Um, and firstly, I'm I'm glad to see that Mr. Horn is so much in support of um, Mr. Zuma's uh, advocate. I, I hope it will extend, or I wonder if it will extend to other issues that he argues. But look, my, my overall problem with the opinion is Advocate Masuku, um, traditional courts are traditional courts. They're created by tradition in terms of African customary law. Advocate Masuku seems to want, and in terms of that tradition, they are led by traditional leaders. Uh, it differs um, according to different parts of the country, but it, it uh, basically depends on, on, it's usually chaired by a traditional leader or a traditional leader appoints a panel, as I think is happening in the, in the Northwest. Advocate Masuku wants us to have traditional courts without traditional leaders. So um, that's my fundamental problem. How is that possible? Uh, the other issue I just want to raise is that this bill was post passed by both houses. The um, issue before this committee is accepting or rejecting the NCOP amendments. Uh, and this is going a lot further than that. The issue, the main issues that the committee at the time had problems with was the issue of legal representation and the issues of the absence of an express opt-out clause. Um, on both of those issues, Advocate Masuku has not found any problem uh, with the, 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 the wording relating to those. And in fact, on the opt-out clause, he feels he goes even further to say it would be unconstitutional to have an opt-out, an express opt-out clause. I don't even know if I agree with that, that aspect. But um, yeah, that's, uh, um, you know, what is the committee meant to do? The other thing to point out is that the power to, or the president has the power, if he believes a bill may be unconstitutional, to refer it back to parliament. So basically, procedurally, I'm not sure if the committee does want to follow Advocate Masuku's uh, proposals. Um, is it empowered to in terms of, of both the constitution and the rules of parliament? Uh, whereas uh, one other remedy would be for the to get the president to refer the bill back if he feels it's unconstitutional, and then there's greater scope for parliament. But the main problem I've got with the opinion is I don't see how you can have traditional courts without traditional leaders. And also just to say that, that um, you know, we passed the South African Judicial Education uh, Act, uh, which sets up a council for... Um, for judicial education to make it independent. Uh, on that council sits a representative of traditional leaders, 
because the idea was that and that person sits on the council with the chief justice uh, because the issue was that traditional leaders need training in, in running traditional courts. So that issue that Advocate Masuku raises uh, has not been raised before. In fact, uh, most of these issues, I mean, this bill has been um, subject to extensive public comment and the previous versions also these points uh, that Advocate Masuku is raising, I don't recall them being raised before. So it's, it's um, I would say, his view, which um, obviously everybody can have a view in terms of the Constitution and issues can get argued in the Constitutional Court, but it doesn't mean that somebody, one person's view is the correct view. But, Chair, my main problem is this issue of uh, his wanting traditional courts without traditional leaders, are they then traditional courts? Thanks, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Minister John Jeffrey. Uh, Honorable Janke. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, let me greet uh, colleagues and everybody in the meeting. Let me follow you, Chair, with the appreciation of uh, the, the quality of the presentation, um, well prepared, well understood, and the eloquence of it by the legal advisor. I, I want to add my voice to what you said, but I immediately want to say this as I appreciate uh, this uh, well thought of and beautiful presentation that uh, it's one thing to have a well-articulated presentation, but that, that well-articulated presentation doesn't automatically uh, take you home in that, uh, because it's so well-articulated that it passes a constitutional master. Um, and uh, because there's an ability to, to, to take us through this so that we understand, so that when we have to criticize, you weren't informed why you have got to criticize this point. So I'm appreciating that, uh, missing Emma. Uh, but I, I think uh, you, I would want to invite you that perhaps if I make comments that uh, uh, do not necessarily go with you in the corners that you went to, uh, it must be understood uh, in the sense that this is. Uh, this is a diversity of, of views and discussions. Uh, because the starting point is that what we have here is a legal view, it's an opinion, and it is that. Uh, it must be the, our starting point. The second point I want to make, uh, I think it's in reference to my colleague, Honorable Horn, before I raise my own issues. He, he, he is very uncharacteristic today uh, I know him as somebody who gets into the issues. But I think the way he started today surprised me because he he's raised, he's raised a flag basically that says, don't open that door. Don't go this way. There's one way to go to. And, and I, I, I'm not sure if it is, it was a smart way of influencing debate in that way. It's somehow fluff. Uh, lift uh, and that flag that you're carrying says 
there's one dimensional decision we must take here. I, I don't know if I agree uh, with that approach. Without you getting to the issues, you have just made the point that it seems that uh, the presentation takes us to one conclusion. I, I, I might have a different view in relation to that. The first point, Chair, I want to make in, 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 in contribution to this, having listened to the presentation, but also having gone through uh, both the bill and the talk on a number of occasions, is the fact that, colleagues, that uh, traditional courts, as we know them, have been in existence, will continue to exist with or without this bill. And I want to emphasize that point, that traditional courts have been in existence, they will continue to exist with or without this, this bill. And that, that should say something about the issues that are being raised in this legal opinion uh, by uh, senior counsel Masuku. I would have wanted him to have gone further and, and assisted in making the views he's making, um, whether we would need a framework that would ensure consistency with the, the Republic, the Constitution of the Republic. Because I think that there's, there's a remedy there uh, that, that, that would assist us in this but certainly, I, I don't think he would have gone that far. And so in my first point, I really want to, 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 to say this, because and I think this will tie in with what the, the deputy minister was raising, uh, of, uh, of wanting a chicken but without its eggs, or wanting the eggs without these eggs uh, uh, bearing, bearing a chicken. Uh, it's, 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 it's such a contradiction. Uh, that, that I think you have pointed out in, 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 in the legal opinion of you in front of us. Uh, but also, secondly, to carry the view also that says that traditional justice does affirm the values of restorative justice. Because with it, um, as we have always known, as it is currently the place and it's likely to be the issue going forward that you have this ownership by the people who are experiencing, who are interacting with this, this form of restorative justice. It is happening as we speak. So you've got a, a, a big ownership, people believe in it, people practice it, people are, are directed by it. Uh, you can go to a number of provinces that, that's what you have. Um, and so it is important that, therefore, the, the traditional justice system gets to be understood within the customary law paradigm uh, in which it operates, uh, especially in our country, given the fact that traditional courts themselves are a unique feature, a unique feature that you, you, you are un, unlikely to just do away with or, or, or deform it or part of it do away with it because the legal opinion suggests that. I think uh, 
Honorable the Deputy Minister would have spoken, and, and Honorable Maseko Jele very briefly, uh, that on the issues of the separation of powers again, um, one is, 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 is not convinced uh, by what is being raised uh, in, in, in the legal opinion. I don't think that it, it is, it, it, the legal opinion was able to give us enough and proper context uh, on, on this issue of the separation of powers. Um, you could even go to all, even the issues around the, your, your legal representation. We, we have examples uh, that exist that we can point to, whether you speak about the Small Claims Court, the CCMA, and so on, without me getting into the details about that. But I think the contribution as a first take chair that I want to make for this discussion uh, is that I, this being in front of us, coming from the NCOP, I, I, I have no reason, I find nothing not to support what the NCOP has uh, uh, and its reasoning of, 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 of supporting uh, the bill. And, and, and I would want to, to urge and persuade that we, we go along with that. Uh, Honorable Hans said, when it comes to way forward, we'll have to speak about that. I'm therefore depositing. A, a few points around that forward as to where should be going. And the main part of it is that uh, I am in support of the NCOP uh, endorsement of this. I pause there for now, Chair. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chanchi. Honorable Hon. Yeah, thank you, Chair. <laughs> and thank you for, for allowing me again. I did not necessarily understand your, your initial request to invite a, a full um, um, and complete um, submission on, 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 on the presentation. But nonetheless, um, uh, the Honorable Jainke obviously disagreed and, and gave us his, his full spiel, which I must at the outset say, um, Honorable Jainke, I, I think finally indicates that the uh, that the the ANC of uh, of pre twenty nineteen in this committee seems to be back. Um, uh, the the commitment to to constitutionalism and the rule of law today uh, was 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 put on the back burner by by specifically your presentation. Um, and I'll point out why, Chair, given the fact that the honourable honourable Jainke, um invited me to. To uh, substantiate my argument a bit further, at the outset, also allow me to to say to the uh, deputy minister, um, I don't know whether in his world it operates. Uh, uh, he operates on a basis that the the law is is really a a, a clear science. Um, I would think that one must always look at, at arguments rather than personalities. Um, but I, if, he, if he wants to, we can take our cue from his submission and agree that we will, as a matter of course, want to disagree with him always. I don't know whether he would, would, would want that. Chair, that brings me to the, the let's say, the, the merits and the demerits of, of this whole saga. <clears throat> Firstly, in respect of the argument of the Deputy Minister that the portion of the 
legal um, opinion around separation of powers and specifically positioning the traditional courts as either courts or tribunals, um, that, that, that we must ignore that part because that has never been part of the deliberations and arguments around this. I want to respectfully say that the Deputy Minister is, is of course, wrong. When this uh, bill was, was deliberated during the previous parliament, there was spent a significant amount of time and argument on specifically this issue. And it was the, the I want to say, the, the narrow-minded obsession of, of the majority of the committee during that period, which insisted that in order for tra traditional courts to be afforded the, the due, uh, uh, let's say, uh, to be put on, uh, let me rephrase, uh, to be put on the, the same uh, level as courts in terms of our common and statutory law, that in no way can can these courts be deemed to be tribunals and, and they must be courts. So uh, it is absolutely not true that, that this specific issue was not uh, at the centre of, of discussions and specifically uh, oppositional views. Um, and the, the consequences today that we sit with this provision, which has been pointed out by the advocate as, as very problematic. Um, so in that, uh, that brings me, Chair, to the, to the other problematic aspect, which I think is, is, is hampering the way forward in respect of regulation of the traditional courts. It cannot be that we turn a blind eye to the constitutional provision to the effect that customary law is incorporated into our body of law in as far as it is consistent with the constitution, constitutional values and principles. Um, it, is, it is somewhat um, intriguing but also very problematic that some colleagues tend to hold the view that whilst the rest of our body of law, and rightfully so, is subject to a constant process of transformation in order to, to enrich it with constitutional values and principles, that in respect of this specific matter, uh, the problematic aspects around customary law and the institutions of customary, customary law must be left untouched and not be transformed in order to, to ensure that constitutional mastery is met. So, so, so with a, a, a very simple, I'm not agreeing with this, this uh, legal opinion, the Honorable Jainke then says, I'm very comfortable with what the, the, the uh, NCOP has proposed, that might be his choice, and, and uh, it, it might be the, the, the advice, if not instruction, the ANC study committee received. But let me make it very clear. That does not take away from the problematic aspects that has uh, uh, been part of this bill right from the start. Um, and for us to consider even turning a blind eye to the 
to the uh, issues uh, pointed out by the legal opinion, which we asked for, because at that stage, uh, everybody in the committee shared the sentiment that there's issues around this this bill and possibly the constitutionality of the bill. If if the majority ultimately going forward wants to to then turn a blind eye to it, let me make it very clear: we will not be part of it. Uh, the the issues remain, and ultimately, when uh, this bill, if it is now passed on the insistence of the majority. Uh, will be struck down or be returned back on the basis of constitutionality, uh, then the majority today will have to take ownership of it. Uh, lastly, Chair, I want to say, and, and maybe that's also why the, the law is so interesting, my reading of the comments of the advocate around the opt-out clauses not, is not um, the same as that of the Deputy Minister. Whilst the advocate do not go into great detail on the issue, and whilst he definitely argues that an opt-out clause in principle would be not, not be constitutional, uh, unconstitutional, he also makes it very clear that ultimately the failure to deal with disputes around the applicability of the customary law in a specific circumstances and a dispute as to whether the, the, the traditional courts are to be used, the failure by this bill to address this in any way or form also leads to, to a problem that may lead to a successful legal attack. And in that sense, Chair, I also want to say this is also the product of the, the, the narrow-minded obsession of the, the the, uh, the majority component of this portfolio committee in the previous parliament, um, when the arguments went something to the effect of, uh, irrespective of, of whether you're just traveling through uh, a geographical area where a, a, a traditional court might have authority, you must be sub subject uh, to this without any recourse, alternative appeal, etc., etc. And what I take from, from, from the opinion in this regard is that whilst our opinion around the opt-out clause is not necessarily shared, what is pointed out is that the failure to deal with this and to treat this like a blunt, uh, and the way this bill treats this issue like a blunt instrument must ultimately also lead to, to very specific issues that can uh, work into the validity of this bill. Um, so, yes, Chair, then maybe in conclusion, it is so. We now faced with actually the very simple choice, whether we accept the, the amendments made by the NCOP to this bill um, or not. And then, of course, if we do not accept it, there is a, 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 a let's say, a procedural um, process or pr procedural requirement for a for a dispute committee to be set up etc etc i want to say that we all know uh, irrespective of whether we're going to try uh, through verbal gymnastics to now uh, varnish over the the serious and the fatal deficiencies in this bill or not we all know they're there 
the responsible uh, way forward for legislators who swore an oath of allegiance to our constitution in the current circumstances will be to say we cannot give our concurrence to the bill in its current format and then let the dispute committee process kick in and, and let, the, let us then give effect to the fact that this bill is constitutionally fatally flawed. If the majority decides to go another route, let we make it very clear. It will not be without our blessing. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Horn, Honorable Masako Chele. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, after uh, the deliberations of the views, in fact, let me start where at the point where uh, agreeing with the DM that Chair, what is traditional courts without traditional leaders? Because uh, the traditional leaders, we are talking about the functionality of these courts. How come now we want to leave the people who came with the idea originally, the leaders who came with the idea when it comes to this? We understand, yes, uh, we must be guided by the constitution, but we still feel that the constitution covers uh, these leaders. Uh, 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 chairperson, uh, when it comes to the, uh, the, the the recognition, but I also wanted chair to say I I I I also agree that we we need to accept uh, what is coming from from uh, the NCOP. I agree with Honorable Janji on that issue, uh, but I also want to go back to the issue of the literature that is outside chair when it comes to what is happening around Africa uh, in terms of these issues uh, or the matter that we are about to hear today. Where we, when we look at the literature uh, chair, we sh uh, the literature shows that in Botswana, uh, for example, I want to make an example with that one, that uh, the rule is explicit chair that no legal representation is allowed in traditional courts, inclusive of cases where the matter goes on appeal to the magistrate court. Chair. And also when we look at Zimbabwe, next door, the, the country next to us here also, in Zimbabwe, legal representation is not allowed at all and the presiding officer is supposed to conduct the proceedings in a loose and simple fashion. If this is one of the examples of saying, Chair, I want to come to the point of saying, uh, this bill today is not the end uh, of it. We will still continue uh, allowed by our democracy, our maturing of democracy, and also transformation that is taking place in our country to work on these issues, those that some, they, uh, uh, we feel that, Chairperson, uh, they are not, uh, people feel that they are not satisfied with. I want to agree, I want to say, let's allow this bill to, to pass. And then whatever that will be coming, we're not saying we are doing it 
obliged to chair. We are saying we, are, we have looked into all those issues and we appreciate the work that done by our advocate and advocate, we understand that he has done very good in interpreting this, but we still have to also bring our own uh, 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 opinion on this. So in short, I'm trying to say, Chair, I just want to support Honorable Janji. Let's adopt. We, ag we agree with whatever that comes. I mean to say what comes from the NCOP today. This is not the ANC of uh, the past, as Honorable Hall indicated. This is the, uh, 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 the ANC of um, sixth uh, term chair. We have analyzed all these issues, we looked into them, but we feel that indeed we are agreeing with the NCOP on this matter. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Can I, before I go to Honorable Deputy Minister, can I go to Ms. Ngema, then the Deputy Minister, then Honorable Janji, and Honorable Dennis Breitenbach in that order? Thank you so much, Chairperson. Um, I think I just wanted to come in to clarify perhaps the question or the understanding on the issue of not wanting the egg, of wanting the eggs but not the chicken or of not wanting the traditional of help of wanting traditional courts without the traditional leaders Chaperson, it is not my interpretation or reading of the opinion that the advocate is stating that all that i am understanding from the opinion of the advocate in respect of that point, Chaperson, is that he is saying, yes, traditional courts exist and traditional leadership also exist. However, as the constitution currently stands, for a traditional court to align itself with the provisions of the constitution, the legislation needs to be clear on the appointment, whether it's confirming how it's done currently or it's dictating another way that will ensure the appointment of the same traditional leadership into being the officers in the judicial system and in the judicial court. I am understanding him to be indicating that point, that the appointment processes must be either legislated clearly because if we leave it as they are, then it may continue the uncertainty and the issue of disregarding the argument or promoting the argument of lack of judicial independence and the required independence. So it doesn't say that traditional leadership must not be the ones that sit as the presiding officers in the courts as the system currently is. But he's saying there is a need to legislate and be clear on that part. Um, that is point number one, Chaperson. On the second point, again, in terms of how he has argued legal representation, he in fact make references of case law that confirms what other members have indicated, that there is no room for legal representation in customary traditional law. And he is saying, he is making clear arguments, as we also pointed out, that 
there may be section 35.5 is there in the constitution, but in light of the manner and how the traditional courts are run, room for, tradi- for, for legal representation cannot be made an argument to say it makes the, constitu- the, 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 the constitution and the existence of traditional courts invalid. They may exist with the continued position that legal representation is not granted directly and is not in existence and, and, and required for purposes of the traditional courts. So for me, the two and the manner that the, 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 the council has made his argument, he is not really saying what I seem to be understanding the members to be indicating that argument. The point that says he's saying there should be no traditional court without traditional leadership. He's saying the appointment thereof must be very clear and align itself with the with what the constitution dictates. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, members. We must bear in mind that uh, it's true. It's debate number two, Parliament, and we are all required to be in the house at that time. And so we, as we debate, we must bear that in mind, Honorable Deputy Minister. Chair, I'm just having to get in a car to travel. Can I, can I come next after the next person, please? Oh, okay. Honorable Janji. Uh, Chair, I, just, just uh, before I raise the issues, just a brief issue, just following up on, on, on Ms. Pumalele, because I, we, we normally have an approach here, Chair, where a presenter is given a chance to respond at the end. Um, maybe there's something that was drastic that needed to be explained, because we would have listened to her for an hour uh, as members of the committee. Uh, I accept the clarity that she's making, but I was expecting that she will, he will still give her the chance uh, to speak because I don't want to have an impression that uh, uh, she's uh, she's very uh, involved in, in in the legal opinion in terms of not creating a distance about what she's presenting and what we need. Because here we are raising our own views and discussions about the matter. Uh, I, I hear what she says in in in, in the clarity. Uh, I have no problem with that. But I think just in terms of our practice. Uh, because we must be allowed as members to get into our discussion and, and she was going to be given the space to make her comments. That's the first point. Uh, the second point here I want to make um, before I, I, I go to, 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 to what I'm suggesting again, I just listened to Honorable Horn and, and again, I find this very uncharacteristic of him. There is going to be no amount, Honorable Horn, because the issues here, uh, we, we have different views on matters. The, the, there's going to be no amount of how somebody can attempt to gag, to gag us into a particular uh, conclusion. There's no amount of blackmailing us back into 2019. Some of us were not there. And, and, and we don't know what happened. And there's no context uh, brought into this um, because the, the way you're going about it, 
we, we must feel so 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 ashamed uh, because you you giving us an ANC that was uh, threshing the constitution doing this in 2019. I'm not sure if that helps uh, in in terms of uh, this this debate. We all correctly we're having concerns. We 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 ask for a legal a legal opinion like any other legal opinion that we ask for. There is nothing that says because you have asked for this legal opinion that you must agree with it in total. There's nothing like that. We've done this before. This is our own legal opinion we ask for. We, 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 we share in different uh, opinions and views about what it is being presented to us. So we can't be uh, put into a corner because you have asked for this kind of a legal opinion. And, and, and therefore, get our contributions even painted to those who are raising this point, who are not agreeing with you, and therefore we must be, be seen as all who are carrying is just an, an ANC caucus position. I don't think we should, we should go into that space. That's not how we operate in this committee. Uh, this, is, this is a melting pot of vibrant ideas, always been like that. Uh, I mean, you're very harsh even saying there's this narrow-minded obsession. Um, because you don't like the views we're carrying, you've got to give us such kind of labels. I am asking, Chair, that we, yes, we get into this uh, robust discussion, uh, but I don't think that the kind of uh, labels, including that if you don't agree with this, it seems that our allegiance and the oath that we have taken must be under question. I want to end, Chair, again and say, we, we are here today to comment, to agree or not agree on the issues that, the, on the amendments, technical and otherwise, that were done by the NCOP. And I want to repeat that with support of those amendments of the NCOP. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Chanji, Honorable Dennis Breckenbach. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chairperson, and good afternoon, good morning, good, good morning to everybody. Uh, Chairperson, this, this bill, in our view, is unconstitutional. We are now, and we always have been, of the view that the absence of an opt-out clause in this piece of legislation renders it unconstitutional. Women in South Africa are seriously marginalized, always have been and are still deeply marginalized in our deeply patriarchal society. This bill, instead of uplifting women, instead of increasing their options, instead of allowing them the opportunity to take control of their own destiny, entrenches this patriarchal and unfair approach. I wanted to be clear on Lord Chairperson that I have the highest regard for customary law as a legal system and there must be an equal place for it in the South African legal framework. This is not an attack on customary law. But this bill uh, wants to entrench deeply patriarchal, in my view unfair, uh, positions of women that cannot be justified, and uh, this bill will be passed at the expense of women and women's, uh, women's rights. Uh, I cannot uh, agree to that on any level, Mr. Chairperson. Our interpretation of the application of an opt-out clause has always differed quite sharply from that of the Deputy Minister, and so there's no surprise there that we don't agree. This bill in its current form is an affront to women, 
Ang pangalan ng screen ng aso, just pumayag When uh, the Honorable Simang is quite done. Honorable Simang, can you meet yourself? This bill will make women's access to real justice, practical, everyday, real justice, much more difficult than it is for them now. And already now, it's extremely difficult. We're not talking about women uh, in business suits who drive fancy cars in the cities. We're talking about women in rural areas who already have a struggle to access justice. This will make it harder. It's unconscionable. That's not... That's not the job of this committee. That's not the job of uh, legislation in South Africa. Our job should be, our concentration should be centered on increasing the access of justice to people who currently don't have access. This bill will do nothing to achieve that. It will only entrench the difficulties. It will make it harder. It treats women like second-class citizens. It makes them out to be children. I cannot, I do not, I will never agree with it. If this committee rams this bill through the committee and then through Parliament, it will be delivering a severe injustice to all the women of South Africa. And Honorable Chair, I will come back and remind all of us that we said so. If this bill in its current iteration goes through Parliament, we will be delivering a, a severe injustice to the women of South Africa we're telling them again that they are less than equal. It cannot be right, Mr. Chair. It leaves me feeling, it leaves me with a feeling of severe disquiet. Severe disquiet. The DA will not agree to the, this bill in its current iteration. And we completely distance ourselves from this approach. We do not support this bill. We hold the view that it will not pass constitutional muster. We want no part in passing unconstitutional legislation. This is a flawed piece of legislation, and we should not be inflicting it on the South African public. This bill should be withdrawn. We should continue working on it. We should find a way to make it acceptable to everybody. This process, this rushed process of passing it is not going to help. And when it comes back as unconstitutional, Mr. Chairperson, I will not be able to help myself but say I told you so. It leaves me feeling that we have failed the women of South Africa if this bill passes uh, through Parliament. It does nothing to improve the position of women. It does nothing to increase the access of women to justice. And I'm not talking about women in the cities. I'm not talking about people like myself and people like uh, the Honourable Maseko Jele and Honourable Niva Drachen who can access justice at the drop of a hat. I'm talking about people who already have a daily struggle to access anything at all. And now we want to make it harder for them to access justice. Those women who need it most, we're going to let them down. We will have no part of it and we do not support it. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you very much. Uh... Honorable Breitenbach, Honorable Deputy Minister, are you now in a position to speak? Yeah, can, can you hear me, Chair? Yes, we can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. No, I'm in the car, so I might, I might cut. Um, Chair, look, let me just make some 
more general points to begin with. This bill is not creating traditional courts. Those traditional courts are there. They exist. They dispense uh, justice uh, on a regular basis. I was going to say every day, but, but probably they don't. Well, they might, yeah. This bill was not about us there and bring it in line with the Constitution. There have been many attempts at the bill. Uh, the bill, um, this version, uh, came as a result of engagements with traditional leaders, um, the national houses, provincial houses, as well as the civil, soci as, as civil society, and the establishment of a reference group that actually drafted the bill. Um, the bill that came to, to Parliament was the product of that reference group. That bill, just to remind the Honourable Breitenbach, because she seems to have forgotten, had an express opt-out clause, which the Portfolio Committee removed, but it made other changes as well. So previously in the bill that was introduced, there was no appeal uh, to magistrates' courts, which there is now. There was just a review to the High Court, uh, which is a little bit, I mean, uh, unaffordable for most people. But just to point to point that out, the dispute, I mean, one thing where I agree with Honorable Horn is that uh, constitutional law is not an exact science. You can have uh, two constitutional lawyers and probably three constitutional opinions. It's ultimately the constitutional court sitting on bunk altogether that will define what the constitution, how the constitution should be interpreted. And it may be at times they don't always get it, uh, get it right. But anyway, that's how our system works. You can have the high court or the SCA saying something is unconstitutional and the constitutional court will disagree with that. So let me just say that we have an opinion. We must consider that opinion. Uh, my concern with that opinion is that I, I disagree with the uh, legal advisor. Um, I mean, currently, traditional courts are established by or unfall under traditional leaders, uh, a traditional leader of a particular area, um, who are appointed because they are they they are traditional leaders in terms of the uh, what is it the the, the traditional leaders and Khoisan Act. It used to be the the uh, traditional leaders framework act. Advocate Masuku seems to be wanting a different process to select people to preside over traditional courts. He also has a problem with traditional leaders presiding over courts because they're combining executive and judicial powers, which in terms of a reading of the Constitution, um, yes, it's not correct, but how can you have traditional courts without traditional leaders? They won't be traditional courts anymore. So anyway, that's just the, the, the background. The appeal to finalize the bill is that, um, in spite, and I'll address what Honorable Breitenbach is, is saying, is that whilst until we have this bill, there's no real, or this bill becoming an act, there's no regulation of, of traditional courts. Um, I think the fundamental issue, I actually think from, from a lot of people who oppose this bill, is they don't want traditional courts. Uh, sometimes they are afraid to say so because it may not be politically correct, but uh, that's ultimately what a number of people opposing traditional courts, I think the actual position uh, is. 
But um, so so basically, just in terms of responding to to Honourable Horn, yes, I agree with you. It's not an exact science. Um, this is one opinion. I disagree with that opinion. I also note that the issues being raised were not issues uh, that were raised in any substantial way in the process of making the bill. And we also consulted uh, traditional law academics. Uh, none of them raised the issue. I, I, these issues, as far as I'm concerned, were not raised in any substantial manner. The concern of the committee uh, in terms of seeking the legal opinion was around uh, particularly the constitutionality of not having an express opt-out clause. And when I say express, uh, my argument would be actually there's nothing in the bill that forces people to, uh, to participate uh, in terms of there's no, if the, there's a specific provision of, of if a matter, if the person doesn't pitch up, uh, then it goes to the registrar or the, whatever the equivalent is, and they can then decide to refer it to, a, to another court, which I understand is what happens in many areas where people don't want to be subject to a traditional court. But anyway, that was the one issue. The other issue was the issue of legal representation. Those were the issues that the DA was, was opposing uh, before. Um, those issues, in fact, this opinion uh, says that uh, um, maybe Honorable Simang can switch his mic back off. Honorable Simang is playing basketball. Okay, can I continue? It seems please. Okay. Um, so those were the issues, but the opinion actually doesn't support the DA. So they're also not in agreement with Advocate Masuku's opinion on those aspects, although they, they may then now claim opportunistically that they're in agreement on the other ones. Um, so um, let's face it, the DA was never going to support this bill for whatever reason. Um, on Honourable Breitenbach's uh, thing on women, um, I must say that, that Clause 5 of the bill, uh, which, which deals with the issue of women, was not something that was, uh, was, something that was unanimously supported uh, in the reference group. And that says a, a traditional court must consist of men and women pursuant to the goal of promoting the right of equality as contemplated in the Constitution. Um, so it's a requirement now that there must be representation of women. Um, traditional courts must promote and protect the representation of, and, and participation of women as parties and members thereof. And then to ensure that it's not just words in a law, there's a requirement for the Minister of Justice to put measures in place uh, to promote uh, the representation of women, because in some communities you might find women from a traditional perspective, not wanting to, put, uh, to participate in traditional courts. In other areas, you would have a woman as a traditional leader. Uh, and it's, it's in fact to an annual report by the Minister of Justice to report on, on how women are being advanced. There's also a provision for the Commission of Gender Equality to report to Parliament every year. So it's not just simply saying the must, women must be promoted. Um, traditional courts must promote and protect the representation and participation of women. It's going a lot further than that. So Honorable Breitenbach completely ignores that. And yes, if Honorable Breitenbach wants us to continue with the situation we've got, 
of which there's no regulation because there's no statute. So um, I just sort of wanted to point, uh, to point that out. Um, this is a difficult bill. Um, I've said it before, this is a bill that nobody likes because it was a compromise bill. Uh, but given the different views, the different positions that people are coming from, it's then not surprising if you've got a, a bill. I mean, I'd in fact said to the reference group, we, we are not going to produce a bill that everybody likes or anyone likes. The aim is to produce a bill that people can live with. But anyway, Chair, my, my appeal would be this issue has been going on for a long time. The issue before the committee is, is that um, to accept or reject the NCOP amendments, not all these other issues raised. Let me remind Honourable Ngema, not Honourable Ms Ngema, that uh, Parliament has twice certified this bill as being constitutional. And I think, I don't know if it was her in her opinion, but there was an opinion um, from the state law, from the parliamentary law advisors to this committee uh, that the bill was constitutional. And I think it didn't require legal representation or an express opt-out clause. So, um, and the position we're in now is somebody, the, the, the opinion sought by parliament, which needs to be considered because we do respect the constitution we do agree that the traditional law must be um subject to the constitution i think it is interesting that uh, i don't have the text in front of me but uh advocate masuku sc had uh talked about a quagmire produced by the constitution so ultimately i'm sure it will have to be for the constitutional court uh not uh, individuals to determine what is constitutional and what is not constitutional. So, Chair, I just wanted to say those in response to uh, particularly uh, Honourable Horn and Honourable Honourable Breitenbach. Uh, thanks, Chair. Thank you very much. Honourable Msimang. Now he can't switch his mic on. Honorable, you, Honorable Chair, do you hear me now? Yes, we, yes, we do. Thank you. I'll be very brief because we've been dealing with this bill for years now. Uh, in particular, I would like to support uh, the proposal made by Honorable Horn where he says that we need a dispute committee. I strongly feel that he's got his finger on the uh, pulse when he says this. All the stakeholders should uh, be included so that we can get uh, unanimity. Uh, I also want to comment on the non-alignment with the Constitution uh, or that it is not amenable to transformation. If I look back to the Guazulu Territorial Authority, where they took the code of Zulu law as it was then arranged by Sir Theophilus Shepston. The Zulu government took this 
code and they amended it radically. It still needs amendment, but they amended it radically in a way that was acceptable to the modern Zulus. So it's not true that it is not amenable to transformation. And then finally, I want to say, I commend Advocate Masugu for his report. I think he's touched on very many uh, challenges in the present bill, especially when it comes to uh, equality or harmony with the Constitution. So if we take that and study it very closely and find answers to the questions which he left unanswered, I think we are almost there, especially when we have uh, the traditional leaders as members of the US Dispute Committee and also women because they all feel that uh, it gives power to men to actually turn them to slaves. And then also the traditional leaders themselves, because they live with this terrible suspicion that the government is all out to destroy the institution of traditional leaders. If they could sit at committees like where we are sitting, they would really see that there is a lot of support of traditional leadership because as the deputy ministers pointed out, it's alive in the rural areas. Uh, people uh, turn to it because it is the only option that is there. They know nothing about Roman Dutch law and they feel that it answers to their problems. So all these stakeholders, if they are there, I think we are very much close to completion of our work. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Simak. Honorable Dee Woodstock. Thank you very much, Chairperson. And good morning to everybody. Honorable Chair. Just upon, um, Honorable Janky. Um, Honorable Janky has twice said that uh, we should support the amendments made by the NCOP. And Honorable Jele has also supported that. So going forward, I would like to say that we support the NCOP amendments. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Jele. Thank you, Chairperson. Sorry, sorry for that. Chair, I wanted to uh, clarify or maybe make our make our honourable members aware that 
uh, issues of women, for uh, particularly uh, Honorable Britain Issues of women are covered by this bill. But firstly, before I, 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 I come to that one, let me just say to Honorable Msimang, the issue that is talking about that uh, people know nothing about this bill uh, in those areas, rural areas, and, and <clears throat> places of remote in our country. Maybe that issue, we cannot uh, place, place it on this discussion today. It, it, uh, my view is that it's supposed to be addressed by the issue of education. The department must come up with a, a programs and campaigns that will assist our, not only on this issue, on this issue of this bill, but also in other bills that are out there. Indeed, uh, they are, there's a, there's a sometimes lack of information in people accessing uh, this information, knowing about their rights as to what is it that is uh, applicable for them out there in terms of the law. But coming to this issue of women, we are uh, Honorable President Bach accommodated. Yes. Uh, we, it might seem like uh, with us, we are opportunity. We have opportunities which are more than those who are in the rural areas. But this bill allows both men and women to uh, to be represented and to represent themselves before a traditional court, as well as allows these men uh, and these or women to be assisted by whoever they please. They they will choose for themselves exactly, but they are allowed to present themselves, uh, uh, present their issues. Uh, it, it also requires that a traditional court must be open to all members of the community, including vulnerable persons and persons who are subject to uh, discrimination due to, uh, due to their sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, this clause, resonate with the equality provision of the constitution and the, uh, and therefore chair and the diversity requirement in the appointment of of of, of even even in requirement of, of, of appointment of our judicial officers. <clears throat> what I'm trying to say here, Chairperson, is that we don't have to worry as women because the bill accommodates us. It 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 it, it is is not an issue at the moment. I wanted to raise that point. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Honorable Breitenbach, is that an old hand or a new hand? Old hand, sir. Thank thank you very much. I think we have had a very robust uh, debate on this bill. I think we have considered the legal opinion. Uh, some have agreed with some aspect of the legal opinion and there are dis- some disagreement with some aspect of the legal opinion. But we must come back to what are we expected to do. Um, there are only two responses that is, that, are, that, that is expected from us. The first one is when we agree with the is to say whether we agree with the recommendations from the NCOP or we don't. And then if we do, 
then the bill will go through and to for president to accept or to, to return it back. Then if we don't, the suggestion by Honorable Simang and Honorable Horn kicks in of a mediation committee. Uh, but having listened to all the honorable members, we are quite split, uh, but the majority is of the view that this bill should go through and we should support the the recommendations of the NCOP. And I think the report would be written uh, to, to reflect that. And we note that there is also a, a very strong opposition from some parties uh, that are opposed to, to, to the passage of this bill. But uh, based on the majority views, uh, we will have a report that says this bill should go through and be debated in the National Assembly and accept the recommendations of the NCOP. Christine, uh, how long will it take to draft the report? Um, well, I basically got three quarters of a report. I'm just not kind of sure how to reflect this last discussion, whether I should just... Um, I think that that's my only my only issue, but it can be ready by tomorrow. And perhaps you and I can have a, a one-minute discussion later today just to clarify. So so by tomorrow we can we can yeah. adopt the report. Yeah. Okay. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much, members, for having a robust debate. But that is within the rules of parliament, uh, with a lot of respect for one another. And I, I think it has been uh, very impressive to have a robust disagreement without being rude to one another. Uh, I really commend you for, for that. Uh, Mr. Dupree, we come to you now. Morning, Mr. Chair. Thank you very much, Mr. Sorry. Chairman. Sorry, before you proceed, Mr. Dupree, uh, let's start by apologizing for keeping you for so long. Um, you, we, we first said you must come at half past nine, you said 11, and then it's, uh, it's nearly 12, it's nearly 10 past 12. But I'm also advised that uh, you wanted to listen to the debate. Uh, on the traditional court bill, but we really apologize for keeping you uh, waiting for so long. Um, you can take us through as to how far you were able to push uh, with the land court bill. Uh, Chair, sorry, just before Mr. Dupria comes in, can I, will you allow me to excuse myself? I've got to attend another meeting physically. Thank you very much, Deputy Minister. Thank you for your attendance and your conversation. You're excused. Morning, Mr. Chair. Thank you very much, and no need for apologies. Um, Mr. Chair, I'm just going to ask the committee secretary to enable me to share my screen, and I would also like to ask um, the, the committee secretary to also allow uh, Mr. Makudubete to also be able to share screen, uh, just in case we we are interrupted or uh, kicked out of the meeting, then Mr. Makudubete could uh, proceed further then. 
Um, if I could just get confirmation that I've got the ability to share screen. Yes, you can go ahead. Thank you very much. Mr. Chair, we have uh, prepared, and I appreciate that you are pressed for time. Uh, we have prepared a, a second working document. Um, you will note that um, the, the grey highlighted areas, we've already uh, explained those to the committee. Um, our new uh, proposed amendments are coloured in yellow today. Don't know whether you want us to now strictly go clause by clause, or could I possibly just then focus on our uh, yellow proposals? Chair? Yeah, you know, I think uh, uh, focus on the yellow proposals. Thank you, Chair. Mr. Chair, then I'm just, I just need to get to our first highlighted area then. I apologize, might take a while. Right, um, with regard to the establishment of the court, uh, questions were raised with regard to the whole issue of law and equity. However, if we look at the Restitution of Land Rights Act, for example, the the Land Claims Court has been established as a law of uh, as a court of law and equity, um, and and that act has been enforced for nearly thirty years now. The whole idea is to replace them, of course, the Land Claims Court with the Land Court. But what we would like to, to point out, or maybe to clarify, is that we say, we propose that we should say that the Land Court is hereby established as a court of law, and then in matters arising from the application of the Restitution of Land Rights Act, or any other legislation expressly providing therefore as a court of law and equity. Um, if this court is only established as a court of law, then the principle contained in the Restitution of Land Rights Act that the Land Claims Court is a court of law and equity will, will then be lost. I'm stepping down there, Mr. Chair, and I'm Going to our next yellow proposal. Uh, yes, Mr. Chair, this is an example. We received a number of comments that um, procedural uh, matters in the court uh, could not be prescribed by the minister. So what we are proposing here is wherever we get the, the term prescribed manner, then we must be careful and, and we will double check it again, Mr. Chair. There might be one or two that we might have missed. But or we might have been overzealous and proposed an amendment which should not actually be an amendment, but we're going to double check that. 
um, we're proposing wherever we get these type of provisions that the <clears throat> it's not prescribed by regulations, but rather be provided for um, in in the rules. So the rules board for courts of law will then prepare those rules, especially then where procedural matters uh, are involved. And while I'm going to the next year, I would just like to apologize. We haven't submitted the document to the committee yet. Um, but at the conclusion of your meeting, I will submit it to your committee secretaries. <laughs> Uh, it's just a small technical amendment there. I don't need to bore you with that detail. Mr. Chair, this, this is an issue that was raised in the committee previously, and I just need to maybe remind the members that previously we indicated that we would like to uh, restrict hearsay evidence to claims in terms of the Restitution of Land Rights Act. But if I take you to the yellow at this stage, the proposal is that, and it, it, it's in reaction to the concern that was expressed with regard to the wide ambit of subclause 1, irrespective of the, if I may call it, restriction introduced proposed restriction introduced in 2A is to maybe include, if I may call it the restriction here, to say the court may, and then in the case of claims under the Restitution of Land Rights Act, admit evidence, including oral evidence, which it considers relevant and cogent to the matter being heard by it. Um, whether or not such evidence would be admissible in any other court of law. I would just like to highlight this note that we've prepared here. We have decided to keep the grey proposal, but if we may call it a drafting note, the proposed amendment of subclause 2A to be removed if the proposed amendment of subclause 1 is accepted. Yes, uh, this was the proposal um, by the Land Claims Court with regard to conferences. Uh, what we've also done, Mr. Chair, is we've just done, we also just recapped or had a re-look at the 15-page summary to make sure that we didn't miss something. The proposal here is, and the Land Claims Court is correct, it's better to refer to conferences only rather than pre-trial conferences because although one cannot use the heading to a section to interpret your section, um, pre-trial conferences or pre-trial conference then 
implies that conferences can only take place before the trial. However, the proposed amendment that we've discussed with the committee last time is to uh, provide for those conferences to take place at any stage during the proceedings in the court. Just a minute, sorry. My apologies to you. Then, this is also a proposal that, that we picked up when we went through, again through the 15-page document, is that the Land Claims Court also advised that it might be more appropriate to insert those words that uh, at any stage after a dispute has been referred to the court, it becomes apparent that it would advance the finalization of the case if some or all of the disputes between the parties are then referred to mediation or arbitration. Yes, this was also a technical proposal that um, it would be more appropriate to indicate that uh, in cases falling under paragraph B, uh, that the court may, uh, acting on its own accord, vary or send a decision, judgment or order. The paragraphs A and B should then... Uh, restricted to applications by the affected party. <clears throat> I don't think with regard, oh yes, with regard to mediation, once again, procedural issues not to be prescribed by regulations, but rather be provided for in the rules. And there's another one. Um, to a certain extent, we would like to regard it as, as technical amendments at this stage. Uh, the department um, considered that it's not really appropriate uh, for regulations to to provide for these issues and, and that it should rather be provided for in the rules. Also, one of those technical amendments, Mr. G. There as well. The next one as well. But that's just tightening up the language or improving the language there, Mr. G. Yes, um, an arbitration award issued by an arbitrator is final and binding, and it may be enforced if made an order of the court as judgment in respect of which a writ may be issued. This is a technical issue that we've picked up and um, we think it, it clarifies the provision there. Yes, um, this is also one 
proposal that me and my colleague would maybe just have another final look at, but at this stage it's proposed that subclause C should be deleted as well as the subclause 3. Um, this is clarifying, Mr. Chair, that the Land Court of Appeal cannot ask the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court of Appeal um, and then, of course, the Constitutional Court. So the proposed amendment here is to say that the Land Court of Appeal is, except for the Supreme Court of Appeal and the Constitutional Court, the final Court of Appeal in respect of all judgments or orders made by the the proposed amendment here, Mr. Chair, and we are looking at the composition of the Land Court of Appeal. We are aligning uh, subparagraph C with the uh, wording of the a similar clause earlier in the bill dealing with the composition of the land court and paragraph C is also then in line with the provisions, relevant provisions of the Superior Courts Act. Yes, and this is just to clarify that the judges in the Land Court of Appeal uh, must be judges of the High Court or who may be judges of the Supreme Court of appeal. That's just the technical amendment reference to uh, the specific section. Sorry, Jim, maybe I could mention. Uh, let me take it quickly to 351C, then you will see that. It's so many other judges as as may be prescribed uh, approved by by the president. So it's just a cross reference and and an attempt to clarify who those appointees must be. <clears throat> Mr. Chair, this provision we actually picked up the lacuna ourselves, it was not uh, any recommendations that were made, but we realized while going through the bill again that we have got a provision, this provision only applies um, to the judge president and deputy judge president or judges of the land court but we haven't got a similar provision dealing with uh, the judges in the Land Court of Appeal. So it is a duplication of a provision already contained in, in the poll itself, but we think it's appropriate to have it here so that we ensure that all the judges of the Land Court and the Land Court of Appeal are then covered by 
the issue raised here. <coughs> I apologize, Chair. I don't know. I think it might be nerves. Nervousness, Chair, every time when one appears before the portfolio committee, extremely nervous. So I don't know. My voice is going again. <laughs> Might be psychological, even. <laughs> what this relates is this: this uh, you are very friendly people here. My apologies, Chair. Then, um, to clarify that. Uh, the Land Court of Appeal will not have exclusive jurisdiction. Um, we, and, and in order to provide for appeals to the Supreme Court of Appeal, or possibly even directly to the Constitutional Court, uh, the removal of the word exclusive. That is just a technical amendment, Mr. Chair. The Western Cape government indicated that it's not it's not necessary really to refer to uh, the word contained or use the word contained. Mr. Chair, we have highlighted clause 46. And at this stage, it's proposed that Paragraph B must be removed. However, we would like the, the committee to indulge us. Um, Mr. Makudubeti and I would like to maybe reconsider and, and possibly even recommend to the committee that the whole of Clause 46 um, might have to be deleted because it doesn't... Uh, we would like to maybe just have a discussion on this one again before we give our final views to the committee. And uh, clause 47 is then also just uh, a technical amendment to the heading of clause 47. And then, if I remember correctly, it was also the Land Claims Court that recommended that judges of the Land Court of Appeals should not be taxing masters. So that provision is now being, or that recommendation is now being provided for. With regard to Clause 49, that is also actually just a, a technical amendment, Mr. Chair. It's not really necessary under Chapter 6, our general provisions, to refer to both courts because um, these matters will apply in any event to, to both of, of the, the courts being established. With regard to the transitional arrangements, Mr. Chair, um, the proposal was, this is also just tightening up of, of the wording, so to a large extent one could regard it as a technical amendment. We propose that the paragraph A must be inserted under subclause 2 because 
and you will recall we mentioned to you last Tuesday that the Land Claims Court recommended that provision should be made for the judges who um, are currently um, working uh, as judges in the Land Claims Court. And this is the provision that, that aims to give effect to that. And it's largely along the lines as suggested by the Land Claims Court. Nothing to indicate with regard to Clause 52. With regard to Clause 53, and this is something that we will have to once again have a look at, but you will recall that these issues that are highlighted here must be removed because it's no longer issues that must be provided for in the regulations, but rather in the rules of court. And this subclause here, we've got two options. And once again, we would like to discuss it further with each other, uh, myself and Mr. Makurubete. Um, but this subclause two will in all likelihood be, uh, be, be amended to refer to the rules board for courts of law. And then we've got two options. We can either retain it here and then maybe amend the heading to refer to regulations and rules, or it might be more appropriate to extract subclause two here and to um, draft a, a separate uh, clause dealing with the issues that must be provided for in the rules. However, we need to interrogate this a bit more before we can come with a final recommendation to the committee. And it might be that um, we will have to go through the bill itself line by line to ensure that issues that must be provided for in the rules uh, are then extracted possibly as, as a separate clause. And then once again, this is only a technical amendment to remind ourselves that um, the, the proposed uh, year of the, the Act should then be changed to the current year. That is can present to you at this stage. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Tukri and Mr. Makunubeta for the work done. Uh, thank you very much. I think we have done a lot. Uh, members, are there any questions or comments? Can you take the screen so that I can be able to see members? Can you take down the screen? Honorable Nevot Trocha, Honorable Vernahor, and that order. Um, thank you very much, Chair. And I 
would just like to ask Mr. Dupriere, um, when he emails the document, please could you include the highlights both in gray and in yellow so that we could see the changes that you made. Um, if you could do that for us, please. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Horn. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Um, I would want it also to request whether we can receive the updated document. Um, and I've taken note of the fact that the department is, is still in respect of some matters, uh, I want to say, having an in-house debate or discussion, which is, a, which is all well and fine. In the meantime, however, um, I just want to again um, let or remind the department of some of the issues raised by members which there was an undertaking that the department also will come back with, with an opinion and if necessary, further amendments to the bill. So yeah, appreciative of the fact that the, the court of law and equity has been, is now being regulated only in as far as it is currently a component of our legislative framework. I appreciate that. However, the, the other issue which colleagues would recall, um, which we've also raised, which I, through the way in which I could follow the presentation today, does not seem see advice or an end product yet, is the whole issue around who is to serve as arbiters and ultimately the specific question whether the members of the judiciary um, may also be entrusted with, with arbitration and mediation, and specifically, uh, if that is the case, uh, what, cons what, what other regulatory uh, uh, provisions have to be built into, into the, to build to the bill to give proper effect to this. Uh, that's just on, an, let's say, an initial reaction, Chair. Obviously, once we, we do receive the updated version of the bill, there might be other issues which we, again, want to, to raise. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Horn, Honorable Taylor. Thank you very much, Chair. I also think, I want to thank uh, uh, Mr. Dupree for, for the work that he has done on this, as usual. Uh, but, Chair, I was not part of the discussions, if you remember, it was when I was in the hospital. And then uh, I'm not sure about other things. It's just uh, clarity, two clarity questions. He's, 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 it, it, I, I hope it's not going to take you back, uh, and, and to, to a new discussion. But uh, two things that I just want to know, if this bill covers. The first, <clears throat> sorry, the first question, Chair, is about, I want to make in two scenarios. The first one, uh, our there are families where, uh, for example, the, the the one you know uh, where a an uncle, for example, I want to make an example, an uncle raised this child and passed the family passed uh, they all passed away, and then only maybe children that are left, but those children, even though they know about 
this uh, uh, this the 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 previous place the land where their parents were living uh, but they were removed one way or the other but they they really don't care they they not that they, they don't care but because of other circumstances maybe which are <clears throat> they are presented to, with they are not able to in fact don't even know that they need to come here or maybe they pass everybody passed on but there's this one person who knows that that place my uncle used to own and i don't it's there's no one is claiming how do you accommodate uh, is it, 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 it let me say uh, is that person who knows about that information have a link to go to the court and present or make a claim or uh, and in fact i wanted to know also that what is it if it's it's there is something like that is there anything that that person has to present to the court that is the first scenario chain the second one is about <clears throat> there are these people who are staying in the farms uh, for so many years their parents their grandparents everybody has always been there and they don't have anywhere to go they don't have a land when <clears throat> the grandchildren decide to chase them away and all that are those people maybe have rights that maybe they can go to the court and present their matter and their their matter be i know i know in terms of property uh, <clears throat> laws and all that there might be some challenges in, when it comes to that but i want to know what is uh, this court uh, going to how, how is it going to help those people thank you Jake. i'm not i don't want to take you back uh, anything but you can just explain to me if this bill covers all those people if not i'm fine thank you Jake. thank you very much just my one issue uh, is to pray um if you have uh, the appeal court, the land appeal court, and the Supreme Court of Appeal, and the Constitutional Court, are we not creating too many layers which will make this process to be unaffordable? Because when a person uh, uh, has his matter adjudicated before or by the, the land court, uh, from from the cursory reading of the bill, that person can still have a right of appealing to the land appeal court, then to the Supreme Court of Appeal. So are we not creating too many layers that are going to be too costly for the litigants? Uh, I, don't, you, Mr. I don't see any other hands. I think we can respond. Thank you, Mr. Chair. And I'm going to ask Mr. Makurubete to assist me, or rather to answer all the difficult questions. So I'm just going to answer the, the fairly easy ones today. I must get Mr. Makurubete to also experience the hot seat. Um, with regard to the question, uh, raised uh, regarding arbitration. We admit, Mr. Chair, there's, there's a lot of work still to be done there um, and, and possibly even a bit of research. So we were, we had challenge of, of access to our 
virtual resources. So uh, we will come back to the committee. Uh, we are also in the process. We're, we're very near uh, in finalizing a note that will be submitted to the committee. You will recall that um, we've indicated previously that um, those issues that have been raised um, will be addressed in the note and they, they won't uh, fall by the wayside. The question uh, regarding families and the second or third generation that would like them to uh, claim restitution in, in land rights, maybe to explain it this way. The, the uh, aim of the bill is only to replace the land claims court with the land court. Um, the, the, the example used there is, is actually something that has been regulated in terms of the Restitution of Land Rights Act since '94, and still is and will be even after the implementation of uh, this, this, this bill. Um, the first port of call is not necessarily in terms of the Restitution of Land Rights Act uh, to the land court, but however, to the structure created in terms of that act, and that is the uh, Land Claims Commission, who then assists uh, persons with their claims and investigate the claims, etc. With regard to persons staying on farms, once again, it's regulated in terms of the substantive law. And if I remember correctly, uh, Mr. Makurubeji can, can correct me here if I'm not wrong, uh, if I'm not right. Um, and that is the, uh, I think, yeah, it's the Security of Tenure Act. Um, but, but Mr. Makurubeji can, can confirm that for us. With regard to the creation of, of too many layers of appeal, Mr. Chair, that is something that we would also like to include possibly in our note for consideration by the committee. Uh, this is the second time that this question has been raised. It was also raised last week. If you compare, for example, high courts in civil cases, if uh, you have a single judge hearing a matter as a court of first instance, the appeal is then usually to a full bench of the High Court, so that's that's appeal number one. You can then appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeal if you still agree with the decision of, of the High Court of Appeal, if I might call it that for, for ease of reference. And then you can also then eventually uh, appeal to the Constitutional Court. So those are three layers, and, and this is exactly what this bill does, it, it is, it is, it is uh, fairly in line with appeals in the High Court. But we will get back to the committee in the note, and we will also address all the provisions uh, concerned in this regard, statutory provisions, so that we can prove to the committee that um, the intention is not to create additional layers of appeal if you compare it to the High Court. Thank you, Chair. I don't know whether Mr. Makurubete would like to add anything. Thank you, Chair. Mr. Makurubete? 
Uh, thank you very much, Chair, and uh, good afternoon to yourself and the honorable members. Uh, Chair, I, I must confess, uh, Mr. Dupree has answered all the questions, I must say. But in any event, just to, to remind the members of the committee that the land court uh, is constituted before, as a, as a baseline, before a one judge. But the judge president uh, is entitled uh, perhaps to appoint two judges uh, on the bench. But uh, this will not be an ideal situation, but we have made a provision for that. Now, from the land court, the matter will go to the land court of appeal, which will be presided over by a number of three judges. Uh, that, that's where the, the structure of the, the courts in terms of the bill, uh, that's, where the, that's how the structure is. Now, with the introduction of the, the Supreme Court of Appeal, it will mean, therefore, that the matter from the, uh, the, land, the land Court of Appeal, which will have been presided over by three judges, will go to the Supreme Court of Appeal. Now, you remember, Chair, in terms of the Superior Courts Act, as a starting point, the Supreme Court of Appeal is presided over by a number of five judges. However, the president of the Supreme Court of Appeal uh, can decide the number of judges to be more than five or less than five. So to amplify what Mr. Dupree has mentioned, that is the structure that is similar to the current structures uh, applicable in the, in, in the high courts, because the matter will be heard by the by the uh, by one judge uh, as a starting point, and then it may go to the full bench uh, of the High Court, and then to the Supreme Court of Appeal. So, we, we, with regards to the the issue of the uh, uh, whether the bill accommodates the uh, the bringing of the or the the, the bringing of the claim where the parents have uh, have passed on. Uh, Chair, Mr. Dupre has mentioned uh, uh, quite sufficiently so to say that this is a substantive matter. And I would classify that as a, let's say it, it falls under a restitution claim. The claim will be lodged with the commission, that is the, 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 the Land Claims Commission, which will conduct the investigation in respect of that. Obviously, then I would not want to, to uh, state how they conduct their investigations, but I will presume that they will want information that is necessary to enable them to come to a conclusion uh, that the, there is a valid claim that can be processed here. And uh, that, that is a matter of uh, substantive uh, uh, law as contained in the in the Restitution Act. However, if the matter comes to court, that's when that, uh, that clause comes uh, into play. That is uh, clause 22. That talks to the hearsay admissibility of hearsay evidence. Obviously, we did mention here in the past uh, that the court will admit hearsay evidence that is uh, cogent and that is relevant to enable the court uh, 
to come to a, a conclusion that will be a fair in the, in, the, in the circumstances of that case. Now, obviously, then the weight of the evidence that will be presented before the court will be of assistance to the court. However, in short, the, those claimants are, are not left in the woods. They will be covered in terms of uh, approaching the court. That's all I, I, can, I can say in relation to this question, sir. Thank you very much, Chair. So it will still be important, as Mr. Dupree has said, that uh, you further apply yourselves to this issue of too many layers as it relates to access to justice to litigants. Because I think even uh, Honorable Breitenbach uh, would uh, uh, would um, would agree with me that uh, even when we interview judges, this question comes now and again, um, even to a point where do we need to have this Supreme Court of Appeal and the Constitutional Court. I mean, so I think it's important that as we are beginning to create new courts, uh, we we really apply our mind our mind to the question as to how do we ensure that access to justice is is realized? Uh, too many layers. Uh, do they do they assist in ensuring that uh, access to justice is realized? In as far as affordability is concerned. Thank you, Chair. Um, yes, and I'm, I just go back to the questions. Uh, apologies, I didn't um, answer the question about the document being forwarded to the committee members. Yes, I will submit the document today to the committee secretaries, and um, the highlights will be, um, well, they are actually on the document, so they will be visible, the grey highlights then the issues that we've discussed last week and the yellow highlights, the new uh, proposed amendments. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. It seems that uh, Honorable Breitenbach has donated some of her dogs to you. Uh, Chair, yes, and I apologize for that. It's, uh, it's a puppy Labrador and, and uh, at times it, it becomes a bit rough. The reason why I'm at home is that uh, we need to have secure connection with the committee. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, members, uh, can I suggest that uh, we allow them time to do the work that we have asked them to do and they come back when we come back from recess? Will that be in order? Yes, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Dupris, Mr. Magulubet. Thank you very much for, for the work done. Uh, please circulate the document as agreed, and then we will see you in August when we come back from recess. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, if I may, Mr. Chair, um, with regard to, uh, and it might be a difficult difficult for you to answer now, but it will assist us in our preparations for the coming meetings then in August. Do you also plan to uh, go back to the hate crimes poll, Chair? Yes, in August, yes. Thank you, Chair. In fact, we plan to finalize both uh, this bill 
and the and the hate crime, hate speech bill. Um, we we have quite a number of other bills that have not yet been introduced, but that have got constitutional court deadlines, which we will have to also try and see how do we go about finalizing them. So, but these ones they need to be finalized in the next term. Thank you, Chief. Yes. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much. Um, can you take down the what is this thing? The slides, yes. Thank you very much. Members, we circulated um, a document to yourselves about the NCCS. Um, if you remember, we did talk about it last year, that the minister has to appoint certain members, certain number of members uh, in concurrence with parliament. That would be us and then in the NCOP. And I'm informed that the term of this NCCS is coming to an end very soon. So it is advisable that uh, we would need to to assist the process uh, of ensuring that uh, we speedily finalize uh, that uh, uh, the appointment in concurrence with the minister so i'm not sure how members would suggest we we handle this matter because we've already uh, we've already circulated to the cvs and the documents um, should we come back and discuss it tomorrow uh, so that um, um, we can have a way forward from tomorrow? But how do you suggest we handle this, this one? Honorable Janji? No, no, th thank you, Shay. Um, I have no problem if we do that tomorrow, except I wanted to say that uh, it's one of the presentation that was presented to us on Friday. Um, this presentation was fully presented to the subcommittee by the, the chair who's Judge Mashile. Mm -hmm. uh, it took us through the entire uh, document and presentation uh, and uh, there were no concerns or problems recorded by ourselves as a subcommittee on the issue. And this being the main committee, I have no problem that tomorrow we we we, we reflect on that and take a, a decision of endorsement uh, or otherwise. Thank you very much, Honorable Janji. Honorable Hoy. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Um, Chair, I, I, I think we, we should quite possibly just as a point of departure again reflect on the responsibility of parliament in respect of this matter um i'm not i'm not um and it's not necessarily to to disagree with the honorable janky um although it is very easy to disagree with him um i want to suggest that we again just carefully look at the the specific wording in the in the act we, we know this thing has a bit of a history and a context in that in the past we were confronted with 
with a decision that has been finalized and asked to, to endorse, etc. Um, so maybe if if the, if our content advisors could maybe as a as a starting point tomorrow just also advise as to what they believe would be the proper way for us to go go about this in order to 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 discharge of our obligations properly. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honourable Horn. Um, because the Act says the Minister must appoint in consultation, not after consultation uh, with Parliament. Um, so the issue would be uh, what would be the process? I think if, I'm, if, I, if, I, if I understand you, uh, Honourable Horn, what yes. is the process of ensuring that that in consultation is done properly. Yes, if I may, I mean, and that's why I say I don't want to preempt it. We might take advice, but the way I understand it is that in consultation requires a meeting of the minds. Um, and in that sense, um, I don't know whether merely giving us CVs and, and, and informing us that these are the the choices I've made really would satisfy the in-consultation requirement. Um, but I don't want to be, yeah. be, be unnecessarily difficult. It is already so that the Honourable Jainke has made adverse um, findings on my character and Mr. De Prius is, is is afraid of the committee as it is. So I'll, I'll downplay my possible... Um, objections to any uh, process, but uh, and request that we we just consider that afresh tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honourable Judge. Yes, Chair. Uh, Chair, that's the reason I, I spoke first. That uh, and I like the distinction. This is not uh, after consultation. It's in consultation with the with the committee. And 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 I, I support uh, Honorable Horn. Let's get that reflection or advice. Um, but the minister has already started that in consultation process. The fact that we had this presentation to us, it is for us tomorrow to have a view uh, about the issue. I uh, don't want to anticipate that discussion, um, but I, I I would support that we do that so that we 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 are tight on our processes. We, we, we have clarity on the kind of things that we do. Uh, I think uh, it, it would be proper that uh, we have a little bit of time tomorrow to have that uh, shared with us. Um, I, I think Honorable Horn will can take other issues uh, further to tomorrow. Uh, don't want to get into that space now. So I, I normally agree with you, but... Uh, when you show me hokakis, it's difficult to agree with you. Thank you, Chair. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. So I think tomorrow's meeting is more about uh, having a clear process, a clear legal process in place. And then once we agree on that process, then we process the issue either tomorrow or um, soon thereafter. Uh, even if it's Friday, um, but we must have a process that would clearly satisfy uh, the in-consultation process. Um, so I think uh, the 
committee secretariat and the content advisors. Can you work on that so that you can lead us tomorrow? Uh, with with uh, virtual, I think it's important for people to indicate because you might be speaking to people only to find out that they're not here. Committee secretary, you will work on the general advice on a clear process tomorrow. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, members. And then uh, tomorrow we'll also deal with the minutes. Um, so that we end the term properly. Um, and we know that next week, Wednesday, it's our in-house meeting where we will do a sort of a quarterly review of the term and uh, we plan the way forward. So uh, I appeal to the committee secretariat and the content advisors to prepare for next week, Wednesday, as they did last time. They it really assisted us. Your preparations assisted us a lot a last year, a last term. If you can do that, uh, even for this term, uh, members, uh, thank you very much. The meeting is adjourned. Uh, thank you very very much, Chair. For